Orthodox Journey. A missionary activity of the Greek Orthodox Christian Society, working under the Greek Orthodox Archdiocese of Australia, presents Ascending the Ladder, a series on St. John Climacus's Ladder of Divine Ascent. Ascending the Ladder seeks to explore the spiritual gems found in this traditional Lenten reading. Makarios, by God's mercy, Archbishop of the Most Holy Archdiocese of Australia, Primate and Exarch of all Oceania, to the God-loving bishops, the gracious clergy, the monastic brotherhoods, to the presidents of the Honourable Administrative Committees and Philoptochos Associations, to the teachers and students in the schools, to those who work in the philanthropic institutions, and to all the Christ-loving plenitude of the, of the Orthodox Church in Australia, grace and peace from Christ our Saviour, who gloriously rose. Most honourable fellow bishops and my beloved children, the resurrection of Christ is undoubtedly a historical event which took place even though the tomb was secured with a seal, namely, without the presence of witnesses, on the contrary, at the Transfiguration, which took place 40 days before the crucifixion of Christ, present were the three select disciples, while the human presence is also recorded by the evangelists during the Passion. However, in comparing the event of the Transfiguration with the events of the Passion, we will notice some basic differences. Whereas at the Transfiguration, for example, God the Father is present and his voice is heard. In the Garden of Gethsemane, God seems to be completely absent. On Mount Davor, we have triumph and light, clouds and glory, while in the Garden of Gethsemane, what is evident is the loneliness and agony of Jesus in the dense darkness which is expressed by his words, I am deeply grieved, even to death. Similarly, at the crucifixion, which followed the events of Yesimani, there is no element of God's presence, nor Christ's messianic power, to the point where his tolerance and patience gave rise to the mockery of those crucifying him who said, If he is the King of Israel, let him come down from the cross now, and we will believe in him. This took place because Christ did not wish to impose himself with miracles and supernatural proofs. On the contrary, he founded the supreme event of the resurrection, overturning the status of historical objectivity with faith. It is for this reason that both Christ and the evangelists did not subsequently wish to invent eyewitnesses of the resurrection so as to make the event more believable. Such, human such specific human witnesses would have been destructive. They would have been seen as proof of humanness and createdness, of logical and temporal conjuncture, while now the resurrection is established as a fact of faith that invites us into an existential transcendence. The great challenge, therefore, is not to prove the resurrection, but rather our faith, which, as an ecstatic experience, frees us from trust in those things which can be seen and affirmed. It helps us to escape from that which is considered secure, certain and logical, and it leads us to the revelation of the end times. With faith, 
we are all invited to be eyewitnesses of the resurrection because faith truly leads to the miracle. Or to put it better and more theologically, faith is a unique miracle which begins with the empty tomb of the risen Christ. Christ is risen, brothers and my beloved children. On Sunday of Pascha, the 24th of April, 2022, Archbishop Makarios, Primate of the Greek Orthodox Archdiocese of Australia. Welcome to the final episode of Ascending the Ladder, our Lenten series exploring the Ladder of Divine Ascent by St. John Climacus. This episode will feature an interview with His Grace Bishop Elpidios of Gianneon on steps 27 to 30 of the ladder, looking at solitude, prayer, dispassion, and finally, faith, hope, and love. His Grace Bishop Elpidios is an assistant bishop in the Greek Orthodox Archdiocese of Australia and is the Archiepiscopal Vicar of Perth and Western Australia. Your grace, your blessing, and welcome. Thank you for taking time out from your busy schedule to join us. Did you have you. any initial thoughts you'd like to share before we get started? Yes, Nick, thank you. First of all, hello. And um, I would also like to thank yourself, of course, and also the Greek uh, Orthodox Christian Society for inviting me to speak, take part in an interview on the ladder of divine ascent, focusing specifically, like we said, on steps 27 to 30 uh, of the ladder. Today, I'll be sharing some, uh, some basic thoughts with everyone regarding these steps, and I'll be re referring to the various letters and homilies of Yerunda, Elder Ephraim of Arizona. Uh, very quickly, step 27, focus on solitude, which we'll speak about later or shortly I should say, step, uh, step 28 on prayer, uh, step 30, I've just jumped one, step 30 on faith, hope and love, like you said, and step 29 on uh, dispassion. And I'd just like to say um, just a few words on dispassion before we move on. Uh, I mean, lo a lot can be said, of course, on this step, but um, I'd just like to share the following that, what is dispassion? I suppose we can say it's becoming uh, free from enslavement to external forces. In other words, uh, struggling to rise above all earthly uh, affairs. It's basically what St. Paul tells us in the scriptures where when he says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And uh, a beautiful example that I'd like to share with, um, with our dear listeners today is that there was once an, uh, a, young, a, a young person and he approached an elder, a Yerunda, and he asked him, the question, what must I do to be saved? The same question that we hear the young lad asking Christ in the gospel. And the experienced elder wanted to teach uh, or give a, a, a lesson to the, uh, to the young person regarding uh, step 29 of the ladder. And he wanted to teach him how one can become dispassionate because that's like all the steps is something that leads us all to the kingdom of, of God. And he says to him, I want you to do something for me. Go down the road to the cemetery, and I want you to find one tombstone and go in front of it and start abusing it. So the young lad thought, where's the other going with all this? But I'll be obedient. So he goes. He went down to the cemetery. He goes to the first tombstone that he saw, and he starts abusing it, starts abusing it constantly. And then he goes back to the elder, and he goes, I've done it. And he goes, good, go back again, and this time go to the same tombstone, and this time I want you to constantly praise it, constantly praise it, say good things. So he goes, okay, again, out of obedience, he goes back, he does the same thing, he starts praising the tombstone, and he comes back to the Yerunda. And he goes, I've done it all. I've done exactly what you told me. And then the Yerunda, or the elder, says to the young man, and what was the, the result? What was the outcome? And the young man says, well, when I cursed the tombstone, he, there was no response. And when I praised the tombstone, there was also no response. And then the elder goes, exactly. And this is how we should try to be dispassionate. In other words, 
even when they praise if someone praises us we should not be affected by it and even and this is the hard bit and even when someone uh slanders us we should try and not be uh um influenced by that uh, at all it's not very it, this is not an easy thing but this is what saint john teaches us in this particular step in step 29 is to rise above all earthly affairs let nothing affect us even when someone is slandering us in front ideally we try to keep our inner peace and even when someone is praising us again we keep our inner, pre, uh, inner peace and we don't think much of it this is what saint nictarius said uh, our beloved uh, saint of the 20th century saint nictarius of egina he went through a lot of persecutions uh, in his life as we know um, of course, he never spoke back, but he also was able to keep his inner peace. And this is exactly what um, Step 29 is speaking about. St. Nictarius was, like many other saints, had reached this level of being dispassionate. And we, uh, with the grace of God, like I said, it's not, it's not an easy uh, thing to achieve, but with the grace of God, we, 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 we try to struggle and becoming as much as possible dispassionate. But... Um, um, I also like to say that the ladder of divine ascent, or the ladder leading to paradise, as we call it at times, reminds us of the ladder that Jacob dreamed of in the Old Testament that was connecting earth to heaven. It's a beautiful reading that we read a few weeks ago, the Vesper service of the Annunciation of the Holy Theotokos. The ladder of divine ascent reminds us of our spiritual journey in which we gradually are ascending towards heaven, step by step. Thank you, so, Grace. Yes. Um, just one thing, just sort of relating to what you were saying about dispassion, about how being dispassionate can lead to inner peace. One other thing that can lead to that sort of peace is stillness or is he here? And in our contemporary world, opportunities to gain this stillness appear to be very few and far between what do you think are some steps that people can take to increase the amount of stillness in their lives both outwardly and inwardly thank you nick very good question very good question um i'm going to refer again to yet Ephraim of arizona and he actually says that stillness was here like he said it uh, the Greek word, stillness, is here, and silence, he goes, is one and the same thing. And one way in attaining stillness, one way, as a start, is to speak less. The less we talk, then the less we engage in idle talk, which results in evil word, in criticism, and so forth. The Panagia, the Virgin Mary, our, our Holy Theotokos, is our role model uh, when it comes to this, because if we read the scriptures and study her whole life, she basically spoke very limited words throughout her life. In general, we are encouraged to, fl to flee long conversations that may not be spiritually beneficial. We are asked to try and speak in moderation when necessary. And if you recall, uh, during the pre-sanctified uh, liturgies of Great and Holy Lent and, and Holy Week as well, the priest, as is sensing around the altar table, he's reciting various verses. And one verse is, Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth, a door of enclosure about my lips. In other words, take control of what I say, O Lord, and keep me from speaking thoughtlessly. Let's be prudent in our words. Um, uh, as emphasized by Saint um, in the prayer of Saint Ephraim, which we recite at every um, compliant service during Great and Holy Lent. That is, first, let's think and then speak. Do not let your tongue run ahead before you think what you have to say, for the tongue may not have bones, but bones it crushes, meaning that the power of words can be very hurtful if we don't think before we speak. And when we speak, let our words to our neighbor be words of encouragement, words of love, words of hope, words of comfort. But also, we have to be careful with our thoughts, our senses. And we know that many times, um, if we're not careful with, the, with, with our eyes, 
many sins can can follow after that. And we have the classic example of um, uh, the prophet um, of King David in the Old Testament, where because he wasn't careful with his eyes, this then resulted in David falling, the great prophet, huh? in falling in firstly into the sin of adultery, and then that followed into the sin of, of, of murder. So we must be very careful with our thoughts, our senses, so we don't disrupt our internal silence. Prayer, and, especially, and specifically the Jesus prayer, Lord Jesus Christ have mercy on, drives away negative thoughts. We are encouraged at working towards having positive thoughts about our neighbor, about everything, because our thoughts determine our lives. If our thoughts are positive, if our thoughts are peaceful, if our thoughts are calm, and if our thoughts are kind, then this is what our life is like or will be like. Do not let evil thoughts start talking to you. Or if they do, then we are encouraged strongly not to enter in conversation with these thoughts. Silence, together with humility and prayer, brings what we say tears. In other words, it, mo it brings moisture to our soul, while idle talk, on the other hand, drives the tears away and brings dryness to our soul, not permitting the seeds of virtue to grow. The world, the truth is that the world, my dear friends, has so much material for the human person to talk about idly. So many events and stories taking place now and that will take place in the future. But the one thing needful, needful as the scriptures tell us, is to spiritually turn to God and to strive at becoming closer to God by means of prayer and holy thoughts and reduce the noise around us. If we are able to reduce the noise around us, then this, with the grace of God, will help us uh, attain uh, that stillness that we're speaking about, that is here. And how does one reduce the noise around us? There are many ways. Uh, for example, it might be cutting back on the television, cutting back on the internet. Not, not, not saying don't have that at all, but just cutting back on these things, on, on even on Facebook at times. And to allocate this time to, for example, reading the scriptures, saying the Jesus prayer and so forth, especially during periods of fasting. Thank you, Your Grace. And you mentioned earlier that prayer drives away many negative thoughts. And just continuing on that theme of prayer, St. John Climacus writes in his chapter on prayer, Step 28, that prayer is a dialogue and union of man with God. And I was wondering, what does this mean for us, again, out in the world, but also us in our prayer lives? Thank you. Thank you, Nick, again. Very good question again. Um, again, referring to Yeronda Ephraim of Arizona, and not only Yeronda Ephraim, but many other fathers uh, of our church have told us that prayer unites us with God and brings us near to God. Again, again, I refer to the Jesus prayer. By saying the Jesus prayer, we call upon our Lord's name and we ask Christ to come to our aid. And Christ enters. He immediately enters our soul. And when Christ is in us, it's only natural that it's going to bring us eternal peace because he's the Prince of Peace. It is a very powerful prayer, the Jesus prayer. It's been around for a thousand years. And the book of the Revelations, we read, Behold, Christ says, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him or her and eat with them and they with me. When Christ dwells in our hearts, then the truth is that we lack nothing. There is no void within the soul. We are fulfilled having the feeling of joy and happiness that Christ brings within us. Prayer, we can say, is the means by which we are united very closely with God. By prayer, we do not mean praying now and then in front of the icons, but along with this, which we must do, we must do, we strive throughout the day at work while exercising, while sitting, we can continuously pray unceasingly, like St. Paul says, and we can recite those seven beautiful salvific words, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. And this prayer, we can say as many times as we can throughout the course of the day. 
And when saying the Jesus prayer, we are entering into dialogue with Christ. When we say the word Lord, the first word, Lord, Kyrie, we are telling God or we are bringing to God's attention, I should say, that we are his servants and he is our Lord. When we say Jesus, we are confessing the human name of God and all the earthly life of Christ from his birth right up into his ascension. All this comes to mind. And in saying Christ, which means anointed by God, we confess that Christ is our God. And in saying, have mercy on me, we then enter into dialogue, we continue our dialogue with, uh, with God, entreating him to send not only us, but everyone help and his mercy to soften and bring comfort to our tormented souls. Because we know that without divine help, we can do nothing. Yeronda Ephraim of Arizona states that we must struggle in prayer. We must struggle. If we wish for Christ to dwell in us, and he, God, Christ, is the most experienced general who will struggle together with us. He will fight for us, and he will grant us the victory. The truth is that when we pray, or whoever prays is enlightened because Christ enters their soul. We become a temple of the Holy Spirit, where God comes and lives. Prayer brings us closer to God, closer to sanctification. And when we pray with the correct ingredients, what are the correct ingredients? Humility, tears, a spirit of repentance, obedience, and of course, love, which we'll speak more uh, shortly. Then gradually we become to know even the will of God. Gradually God will reveal his will to us. And when we pray and receive the joy of Christ, then it is impossible to hold a grudge against someone who has done something wrong to us or refuse to forgive them for their faults. When we pray and enter into dialogue with God, we become one with him. We commune with him, we can say, and everything earthly is reduced to ashes because we become, we, we rise above the earthly affairs. We become, like I said previously, uh, dispassionate. In prayer, we converse and bring all our challenges, all our problems to Christ. We tell him openly when we feel pain, when we feel affliction, when we feel discouraged, when we feel that we are being tempted or oppressed by some worldly affair, asking for his assistance. We ask for God to enlighten us and to direct us in the proper direction. And God is ready to help everyone who asks him. But at times we may need to be patient, my dear friends, and remember that God always hears our prayers a response according to what is beneficial to our soul. For in our dialogue with God, we should be saying not let my will be done, but let your will be done. Prayer, which is a holy conversation of man with God and humility, these two things, prayer and humility, are powerful weapons, the fathers tell us, against the tempter. And we have to strive at being patient and persist in prayer. We are asked to labor and sweat a little. And then once God sees that we are struggling, putting up, a, putting up a, a struggle or fight, then he will send us his grace. He who prays with a humble spirit is filled with divine gifts and blessings. And what are these divine gifts and blessings? Joy, peace, comfort, illumination, hope. Each time we fall, we sin. Let us build up the courage to converse with God and confess to him that we have fallen short of the mark. Because that's the definition of sin, falling short of the mark. In other words, we say, we need your help, Lord. We need it now to get back on our feet. And then God, who is all loving, who is all merciful, will come to our aid and will find our peace again. It might be, it's easy to lose our peace when we fall but it's also easy to regain it with the grace of God. You may feel that we are constantly, constantly falling and getting up, falling and getting up. And this is quite normal. Once they asked a, uh, a monastic in a monastery, what do you do all day in a monastery? And the response was, we fall, we get up. We fall, we get up. In other words, we sin and then we repent. You may feel that we are constantly returning back to the starting point in our spiritual struggle. But let this not scare us, my dear friends, because... Each time we return to the start, 
without realizing it and with God's grace, we may be progressing spiritually since we are gaining experience from our mistakes. Bishop Callista West says something very beautiful regarding the ladder of divine ascent. He goes, normally we visualize the ladder as being something straight from earth to heaven, a straight ladder. But another icon that we can possibly consider is the spiral approach. Many times we fall back. We might be thinking that we're progressing in prayer. Then we get a bit lazy. So we go back to the drawing board. We, 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 we fall back. We go back to stage one. But although we go back to stage one, without realizing with the grace of God, we go back at a higher level. So gradually, gradually as well, although we are falling back, we are always falling back, but at a slightly higher level because we're learning from our mistakes. And this does help us uh, in our spiritual warfare. And the ladder then suddenly becomes a spiral ladder that leads us to the kingdom of God. These are the, 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 the profound words of Bishop Callistos Swear. Now, my dear friends, we are constantly, uh, when we constantly call upon our Lord's name, Jesus' name, in our prayer, we become, like I said, united with God's grace because we invite all three persons of the Holy Trinity into our heart, into our soul. And then we receive the foretaste of the other life, the kingdom of God, which once uh, we experience, then we don't want to let go of. The goal of prayer, and especially the Jesus prayer, is to unite God with the human person, to bring Christ into our heart, thus minimizing the passions within us. And I emphasize minimizing because sometimes to totally get rid of a passion, it is not easy. Um, but we try to minimize the passions. We try to reduce that huge mountain that's in front of us that, stop, that prevents us from getting to the other side of the kingdom of God. At least if with the grace of God, if we can minimize that, bring that mountain down, then we can jump over and get to the other side. So with the grace of God, maybe we, we might not be able to get totally rid of our passions, but with the grace of God, we try to minimize these, these passions uh, uh, within us. Thank you, Your Grace, for your profound thoughts on this. You mentioned some of the ingredients that we need for prayer. And one of these ingredients that you mentioned is love. And alongside faith and hope, it's the last step of the ladder. And this is a great subject and really could be an interview on its own. That's just right. on this final step. Mm -hmm. So do you have any reflections on this final step of the ladder? Yes, thank you for giving me the opportunity to say a few words. First of all, just faith very quickly. Um, the truth is that we all have room for improvement when it comes uh, to faith. And what currently comes to mind is the father of the young boy in the gospel who had a mute mute spirit the boy had a, the young boy had a mute spirit from childhood he was demon possessed in other words and he was brought to christ to be cured the, the apostles they brought him to the apostles he could they, they couldn't and then they bring him to jesus christ and when christ raised the issue of faith with the father of the child the father cried out with tears and said i do believe but help me overcome my unbelief now this is something in which we can all relate to yes we believe but we ask Christ to extinguish any doubtful thoughts that we, may, that we may have regarding our faith. The statement, I believe, help, my, help me overcome my unbelief, is a statement of faith, but also an admission. We're admitting that our faith is far from where it should be. Hope, something very uh, important and beautiful as well, because we should never despair. We should never lose hope. Even if one is covered by many sins from top to bottom, if he or she repents and does not lose hope, then God will forgive them, as he did with the prodigal son, as he did with the thief on the cross on Great and Holy Friday, as he did with the Apostle Peter who denied Christ not once, but three times. I, have not, I, did, I, I do not know this man, but he was forgiven because he repented. St. Paul, persecuted the Christian, he was also forgiven. St. Mary of Egypt, who we just celebrated on the fifth Sunday of Lent, uh, 17 years in sin, but then she goes to Jerusalem, she has a revelation, and then she begins her process of repentance in the desert, where she remained for 47 years. And not only was she forgiven, 
but she became a saint of the church. And, then, and not only did she become a saint of the church, but she, St. Mary of Egypt, received great uh, spiritual gifts. She received the gift of foresight. And we know this because when Zosima approached St. Mary of Egypt, uh, Mary knew his name. She sees him for the first time. She knows his name. She knows the level within priesthood that he has, that he was a priest monk. And she knew all the problems of the monastery where he was coming from. So she was forgiven. She became a saint, and through great struggles, she also reached great spiritual heights and great gifts. But we also have many other examples who were former sinners and then forgiven. The sinful woman who anointed our Lord's feet with expensive myrrh, oil, and tears, wiping them with her hair uh, that we commemorate on Holy Wednesday was also forgiven. All these people received forgiveness for the sins. And today, Great and Holy uh, Saturday. We heard in one of the Old Testament readings this morning during the Vespers and Divine Liturgy of St. Basil, how the Ninevites, who were the Ninevites? They were enemies of the Jews. They weren't the chosen people, they were enemies. How they repented of the evil and how God graciously forgave them. You see, God had originally sent Jonah to this city, the city of the Ninevites, to preach to them and to tell them to repent. Otherwise, they're going to perish. God will destroy them. So the Ninevites, when they heard the sermon, the Kirigma of the prophet Jonah, they responded. They repented. They showed it physically. They started fasting. Even the animals were fasting. The king was fasting. Everyone showed repentance. And then God had a change of heart and he saved the foreigners. For God's mercy extends to all people. Yes, he said he was going to destroy the city, but he doesn't because they repent. And then even our Lord changes his uh, a way of thinking and he then he doesn't proceed with what is originally said and if you read that beautiful story uh, that beautiful um, reading then we see that Jonah got upset because he wanted the Ninevites to be destroyed and he couldn't understand that God had so much great uh, love so we have so many examples of former sinners who were forgiven and not only forgiven but like I said became saints of their church thus having these multiple examples we should never lose hope of our salvation there is no sin my dear friends that God cannot forgive we just like you know the flame says of arizona we just need five to ten minutes we just need to invest five or ten minutes of our time in attending the sacrament of confession and that's how long a good confession takes not an hour not two hours a confession a proper confession can be done my dear friends in five to ten minutes we say the sin and we move to the next sin. so a good investment of five to ten minutes uh, in attending the sacrament of confession is worthwhile because this investment can result in us then attaining everlasting life. And then we come to the final thing, love. And I will refer firstly to St. John, the apostle uh, of our Lord, the apostle of love, who states in his first epistle that if someone says, I love God and hates his brothers and sisters, then he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has, whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have for him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Thus, if we love one another, then God lives in us. And as his eminence, Archbishop Makarios, our spiritual father, has stated in the past, a necessary condition for one to enter the kingdom of heaven is to love both God and one, one's neighbor. We reach God through our neighbor. All of us, if asked, will say that we love God because we go to church, we light candles, we pray, we receive the antidote, we even have holy water at home, and so forth, and many more other things. However, we cannot say that we love God and do not love our neighbor, for this is a sign of hypocrisy. If we do not love our neighbor, then we'll be like the Pharisees of the gospel, whom Christ rebuked, as we heard in the gospel readings during Great and Holy Week, for their hypocrisy and dark thoughts in their hearts. So love is a great gift. And St. Paul, the Apostle of the Nations, states in his first letter to the Corinthians that though I speak with tongues of men and angels, but have no love, I become or have become sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. I'm nothing. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and thought, but if I have no love, then I have nothing. And though I have a profound and great faith, such a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, then I am nothing. And though I bestow all my gifts to feed the poor, I engage in great acts of charity, 
But although, and even if I give my body to be martyred or burnt, but if I have no love, then it profits me absolutely nothing. It's the one big fat zero, as we say. So love is crucial. It's important. It's the number one. But how do we know that we are acting with true love and not selfishly? Again, St. Paul answered this question for us, and he gives us specific characteristics of true love. He states how love is patient. Love is kind. Love is gentle. Love is not being jealous of others. Love does not show up, does not parade itself. Love does not behave rudely to our fellow human beings. Love does not speak its own way. It is not provoked or angered. It thinks no evil. It takes no pleasure when others fall into sin. But it rejoices in the truth. It bears all things. It trusts and does not despair, but hopes in God no matter what endures, no matter what happens. Love endures everything. So out of the three that we mentioned, faith, hope, and love, all are very important. But St. Paul tells us that out of the three, the greatest of this is love. Thank you, Your Grace. And as you mentioned, just by way of conclusion, today is Great and Holy Saturday. And our viewers and listeners throughout this week, they would have experienced many of the incredible church services of Great and Holy Week. How do these church services help us to grow in that love that St. John Climacus speaks of? Thank you, Nick. Um, yes, you've said it very rightly, Great and Holy Week, which is the week that we just passed now. It was, was not just a normal week. Uh, it was Great and Holy. And each of the days uh, we're called Great and Holy, Great and Holy Monday, Great and Holy Tuesday, Great and Holy Friday, Great and Holy Saturday, like today. Um, and we use these terms great and holy not that the week is any longer than other normal weeks but because the events that we're not um uh not only that we record but that we relive because all these events during holy week are not only historic events of the past not only but they're also events that we relive as if they're taking place now like for me today christ is being uh today christ is in the tomb uh today christ is crucified on the cross and that's why in the liturgical hymns we always emphasize the present tense today he is suspended on the cross so all these events of great and holy week we relive as if they're taking place now for the very first time for me so all these events are holy are salvific as we call them and because they are holy and salvific and have to do with our salvation all these events that christ went through or everything christ went through for us are great and holy. So that's why we call this week, uh, we just went through great and holy. And as we traveled through great and holy week, we were given the opportunity for yet another time to reflect and appreciate how much God loves us and how much he suffered for, for us. Not for the masses, but for each one of us, for me, for you, for each individual. Every, as we heard in the beautiful hymnology on Great and, and Thursday, Great and Holy Thursday evening, every member of our Lord's holy and immaculate body endured dishonor for us, for me, for you. His head endured the thorns. His face was spat on. His cheeks received the blows. His mouth uh, tasted vinegar mingled with gall. His ears heard impious blasphemy. His back received the scourging. His hand held the reed. They were making fun of him. They gave him the reed to mock him. You want to be a king? There you go. They were making fun of him. Just like the reed. They were making fun of him. His entire body was stretched on the cross. His joints were pierced by the nails. And his side was speared. Uh, uh, endured the spear. His side endured the spear. Christ, the bridegroom, suffered all this. And much more for who? For his beautiful bride. And who is the bride? The church. In other words, the faithful. We are Christ's bride. And he suffered all this because he loves us and wants all to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. Holy Week, my dear friends, led us to Golgotha, Calvary, where Christ was crucified. And there we relived the profound mystery of love. What is love? Very simple, Christ on the cross. Everything else is relative. 
What is absolute love? Seeing Christ dying on the cross on Great and Holy Friday. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. You see, when someone has men, uh, um, multiple of good things and he gives something, it's no big deal. But when they have one and only one and they sacrifice that for someone else, that's true love. And in this case here, like I said, God loved the world that much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. In summary, in summation, what is Holy Week? Holy Week equals Christ's love and sacrifice for the human race. Amen. Uh, thank you, uh, Nick, for giving me the opportunity to speak today on the land of divine ascent. And on behalf of His uh, Eminence Archbishop Makarios of Australia, I would like to wish all our listeners um, and yourself, Nick, a very blessed and holy and salvific Pascha. God bless you all. Thank you. Thank you, Your Grace. And on behalf of the Greek Orthodox Christian Society, we wish you a Galo Pascha as well. And thank you once again for taking the time out on such an important day to discuss the latter and all of these key virtues that bring us closer to God. And just for our listeners, this is the final episode of Ascending the Ladder. So I would like to thank everyone involved in producing this series and especially all of the guest speakers who contributed. And finally, I'd like to thank our listeners and viewers. And for more content, you can follow us at the Greek Orthodox Christian Society YouTube page and on social media at Orthodox Journey. Goodbye for now.
you've enjoyed this edition of Orthodox Journey. To keep up to date with our podcasts, subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts 
or head to orthodoxjourney.com where you can find even more Orthodox talks, sermons and podcasts. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram and view more content on the Greek Orthodox Christian Society YouTube channel.